Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Herdana Osban, here with my friend and Chabruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachat Shabbat, Ayin Zion. It rhymes, 77. Uh, today, before we head into the daf and have a special dedication, we just want to remind everybody that on Sunday, May 24th, God willing, at 10 a.m. East Coast time, 5 p.m. Israel time, we'll be hosting a Talking Talmud pre-Shavuot cheer over Zoom uh, as we prepare ourselves for the holiday that marks our receiving of the Torah. And we'll be learning some Gemara together to explore some of those themes around this holiday. Uh, we're gonna change a little bit how we give access to the Zoom, uh, just cause there's been an increase in sort of Zoom bombing. Um, so on the WhatsApp group, on the Facebook page, you can also anchor, anchor message us, or if you know us personally, send us an email um, and we will send you a registration form. Once you send the registration form into us, you will get a, um, uh, the Zoom link. Again, we want to thank our uh, fellow co-learner, Diana Bloom, for helping us, uh, you know, organize the Zoom. She's all things Zoom to us, so we really appreciate that help, and we really look forward to learning with all of you on Sunday. Did I forget any housekeeping stuff for that, Anne? I do not think so. Sounds good. Okay, great. So just be ready to learn and have some fun with us. Um, today, we will be uh, dedicating the Dava. I actually have your site for my father, Michael Osband. Uh, and that's it. Our learning today is dedicated to him. My love of Talmud is from him. And uh, that's it. So I told Anna I was going to try to... Well, I will just add that, uh, you know, having only tangentially met your father many, many years ago, I can say that it is a great school to be able to learn in his memory. I think that's true. And uh, I've always appreciated that my father really always treated his only daughter as uh, his equal in learning. And uh, a lot of my mahalif, my derech of learning, you know, especially being very interested in the personalities of the Tanaim and Amarayim was really something that I learned from him. He always felt that you had to understand who the people were who were saying things in order to really understand what their Torah was. So now you all understand a little bit more about me and my Torah. <laughs> so I guess it comes full circle. Okay, and now to our daf. Um, we'll see, as we discussed, there's going to be a bit about halacha. There's an awful lot of agadata on this daf. As I was preparing it, I was, you know, entrenched in the halacha, and then I suddenly was like, oh, there's more agadata. Oh, there's an awful lot of agadata here. So you'll hear from both of us, both of us on both of these. Now, our Gemara is referring back to the mission that we discussed yesterday and talking about these different liquids and how much, what amount of liquid must you carry to be, in order to be for carrying that particular kind of liquid. So I'm, the Gemara takes us back to the gemi'ah, the gulp of milk. Chalav oh Now that sounds the same uh, orally, but the spelling of it is the, the orthography of it is the question, right? It says, the Gemara says, did they mean gemi'ah, gimel mem, yud, Aleph hey, or did they mean gimia gimel mem yud ayin hey? Now, as far as I'm concerned, I don't know that I would have even thought that there was an issue because gimia is not a very common word, so that I would realize that there's an alternative that I might want more. But Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak did, and he said it's very clearly with an aleph, even though the mission actually I believe has it with an ayin. It says higmiani na meat mai mikadech, right? He cites the verse in um, Breishit Kavdala, the story of. Rivka and the um, Everett Avraham, right, with the, oh my goodness, with the, with the jugs of water, right, where, you know, he comes to, 
to the well and he says, I'm going to, whoever can c- come and offer my, my camel's water, that's going to be the right wife for Yitzchak. So Rivka, in fact, does this. And, but the, and the formulation is, can you give me a bit of water, give me a, a glug of water from your, from your pitcher? And that's when she then goes and offers all the, um, the water to, to, she offers to water the camels as well, which is actually a really tremendous act of chesed as an aside, because camels do not drink often, but when they do, they drink a tremendous amount. So the idea of her like schlepping down to the water hole and coming back with jugs of water to, feed, to water all of these camels uh, it was a tremendous uh, overture on her part. Okay, now, what's, of course, interesting here is that the Gemara, which is paying attention to how much, what is the amount that is going to require you to bring a karbar chatat, because you have done a sin, is now paying attention to, again, to the orthography. Should it be with an aleph or should it be with an ayin? And then the Gemara goes on to say, Ibailahu, there's another similar question about this aleph ayin debate. Garinan, garin, garinin or garinin? Gimel Reish Aleph Yudnun Yudnun or Gimel Reish Ein Yudnun Yudnun. Amarava Barula Vinigra Mearkecha, which is with an Aleph, with an Ein, I'm sorry. Vinigra with an Ein. What are we talking about here at all? Well, we're talking about Garinim. Garinim, any, anybody who spent any time in an Israeli bus station, for example, knows that the Garinim are the sunflower seeds or any kind of seeds, really, that are flung all over the place. Right, so the question is, when we're talking about seeds, or we're talking about a measure for carrying the amount of seeds, which is, you know, very much in line with the topic that we have, at the the actual contents of what we have. Again, this question is: Do we is garinin with an aleph, or do we spell garinin with an ayin? And Rav Rava Barula says it's with an ayin, and it comes from again from this verse in Vayikra. In this case, it's a verse in Vayikra, Kavzayin uh, twenty-seven. Now, again, I'm struck by the fact that the Gemara is pausing to make sure that we have the spelling right. And what I said initially was like, do I even know that there's another word that might have the comparable spelling? The answer is that's not what's going on here. At least I don't believe so. It's not that there's a question of what is the meaning? Does it mean that other word that is spelled differently? The content is clear. Everybody knows that, you know, give me that glug of milk. That's, or or the the amount of milk is a glug, whatever, a swallow, whatever you want to call it. Everybody's clear that that is the meaning of the word. Now the question is, but how do you spell it, right? I feel like it's, you know, the baby steps of learning Hebrew. Is that with an aleph or with an ayin? As opposed to there's another word by the same thing. It's not to clear up a content misunderstanding. It's simply to learn the spelling. Well, I love this Gemara because, you know, often when we learn the deaf, besides figuring out what we want to talk about, I sometimes try to guess what you want to talk about. (laughs) And so when I saw this, I'm like, oh, this has... Ann Gordon, editor, all over this. <laughs> like, this is for and sure you were what right. you're going to want to talk about. And I was right. Um, what's fascinating to me about this Gemara is, is that we're talking about oral law, right? Something that presumably was not written down. And even if it was written down in some form, right? That's exactly what happened with the Mishnah. Certainly it wasn't when we had printing presses or we were sort of producing something in mass. But I think that's actually what the conversation is here that you're having which is now they had to write it down. So the spelling was actually important. I don't know how else to explain this conversation a little bit. Well, also, I think that it tells us something else, which is surprising, perhaps. These folks of the Gemara in this conversation, at least these names mentioned here, they are not Temani, they are not Yemenites. Now, obviously, that's not a historical comment. They're not Yemenites. There were no Yemenites yet, or Yemenite Jews at that time. But Yemenites today are known for their very precise enunciation 
of different letters. So that the ayin for, uh, for Yemenite is a really a guttural sound, as opposed to if I'm talking, the difference between my aleph and my ayin is nearly, for every word, it will be nearly always negligible. You know, the, the distinction yes. is not there, which enables actually, me to make spelling mistakes, you know, right and left. As well, because I actually have a Taimani uncle. So <laughs> I have lots of Taimani, and I know his whole Taimani family, who I love. And I know exactly what you're talking about. People are always shocked. Do you have Taimani cousins? I'm like, yes, I do. <laughs> but but what that means is that if you if you have your spelling, you know, so percent, I'll give you, like, we can do this in English also. There are parts of America, the United States, where people pronounce the word Mary and the name Mary, Mary, right. and the feeling of joy, Mary, right? All the same. And it comes out as one Mary kind of word, right? Like, and I'm not making fun. I'm saying the orthography. How do you write that word if you don't already know the spelling? So for me, those are three dramatically different words that are pronounced dramatically differently. But if you pronounce them the same, then how do you spell them? It's not so clear. It's also not so clear which is which, right? So here, if the ayin is not distinctively pronounced in the context of, you know, as, as compared to the Yemenites, um, or, and I imagine that there were some people then also who, you know, where did the Yemenites get it from? So there must have been some people who pronounced the, whose speech got the pronunciation different. But in this case, it seems to be there's confusion and they're clarifying it. And they clarify it. And this also is very beautiful. Each time that there's confusion, there's several more examples of this on the daf. Um, each time they clarify it with a biblical verse, you know, whether from Chumash or from Navi, to to say, here is my proof text that tells me that this is the spelling, which yeah. is also very interesting, right? Because they had the text from the Navi and the Chumash, obviously, written down. Right. So it's using text to create, to have the correct spelling for your oral text, which is now being written down. And may also impact enunciation as well. Very interesting discussion here. And again, I think one of those things you could just quickly read over, but, and, you know, could have a deeper thought attached to it. Um, I wanted to go through a Gemara here, which, you know, it's, I don't even know that it has so much of a deep thought, but it's just an interesting way of sort of looking at the world around us. Uh, they're having a discussion about honey and how much honey you can carry is as much as you would cover a sore. And they then share while they're on the topic of sores, they're going to divert to talking about sores in general. I'm a Rabbi Huda, I'm a Rav. So Rabbi Huda said in the name of Rav, Right, everything that God created in this world, He did not create anything. I never have a good translation. Levatella, Safaria pronounce, you know, explains it as for not. But in other words, that everything has a place in the world, and then it lists um, all of these sort of things that I think are things people are generally sort of grossed out by or don't like to be around, and explains what their purpose is. Right. Right, so a snail was created because it's a remedy for a sore. Um, he, a fly was created uh, because it can help a wasp sting. A mosquito is a remedy for a snake bite. Um, a snake is a remedy for a rash. And a gecko is a remedy for a scorpion bite. Right? And so how do you do this remedies? This is talking specifically about the gecko one, right? You bring a black one and a white one and you would cook them. And then whatever gets boiled down there, you spread it and it becomes an ointment. So uh, two comments I'd make about this. You know, I have a four-year-old who currently consistently tells me how much she hates all bugs. 
Um, like she just says, I don't like bugs. I don't like bugs. And I think this is just like a basic thing that we sort of try to teach our children. Everything has a place. And this is what the Gemara is talking about here. But what's interesting to me is what they're saying that everything has a place for is I think today we would understand a lot of these animals, probably if I were going to do this today in a modern Talmud, is explain it more in terms of sort of like ecology. Like I need the snail because it does this. I need the mosquito because it does this in nature. But here, the rabbis really understand it in terms of its relationship to what does it provide a human. And I think they are giving some insight into sort of how, and I don't think there's every, I don't think this is a Talmudic viewpoint. I think it's just this passage's viewpoint that here, when it says, right, that God, you know, created uh, the olamov, lo barad zavar, echad um, right, that everything has a purpose, it does seem to be a purpose that's helpful to man. Um, so that to me was also sort of, an interesting perspective. Like it's not in a context of purpose for the whole world. And again, that may also have to do with how they understood science and the environment and the world around them. Those are much more modern concepts and things that we talk about. But I just thought that that was interesting as well. Like it's not about that, you know, bees pollinate flowers. This is really in the context of what can these animals do that are helpful to humans? Well, I would say that I think the question of you know, what is the value of, an, of a mosquito has long ringed eternal, meaning this is, this is exactly the proof of that, right? I understand there's other things on the page, but let's focus on the mosquito for a moment, right? I feel like every year somebody says, what good are these things, these mosquitoes, right? They only serve, and I'm glad to hear that there is a purpose, or at least in the Gavar times, there was a sense that there was, in fact, some benefit to people besides simply getting bitten, right? There are other things, you know, a spider eats flies, spiders clean up the bug environment, right? Like there's there's other kinds of, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, things in the creepy crawly kind of world that people kind of relate to as, all right, I might not, I might not love what they look like and I might not love their presence in my home, but I see how there is a, whether you say it's part of the cycle of life or you say that what it does for humanity or whatever, there's some kind of benefit. The mosquito, I feel, is a, is a sticking point. Um, I also happen to re react pretty badly to the mosquito, so it's not incidental um, that I say this. I, I find, so in my philosopher hat, right, if before I was in my editor hat, in my philosopher hat, I find this piece of Gamar to be exceptionally valuable because it's, I hear your point about how this is really connecting everybody to what, how, do, how does each of this, how do each of these creatures creature oh my goodness how do each of these creatures serve man or, or provide something for man but i think that this idea of you know again nothing was an accident right everything is part of the divine plan and the idea that even these things that you're going to say you're in and you're out what is the value of that mosquito ah but god has it's part of god's divine plan you don't even have to understand it, right? Like that's where the Gemara here gives an understanding of it. But I think there's something very comforting and very pleasing and also very profound about this perception that, you know, again, that, that everything in the world is, is part of the divine plan. Absolutely. Otherwise, where would these creatures come from? That's right. part of the rationale, right? Like right. it couldn't be here without God's plan. Exactly. Um, all right. So one other last quick thing I wanted to just work on this stuff, which I actually thought was funny. Um, and again, since we're dedicating this to my father, my father had a excellent, probably one of the best senses of humor. But I love this passage here about Rabbi Zera, where he finds Rabbi Yehuda. 
um, by his father-in-law's house. And he saw, right, what does it say here? Right, he was at his father-in-law's house. And he saw that he was in a good mood, okay? And therefore, what? And so therefore, Rabbi Zera understood, since Rabbi Yehud is in a good mood, he could ask him anything about how the world works. And then it's like fascinating to see what it is that he asked him. Like, I don't know that if I had somebody who I thought was like my most knowledgeable teacher and they were in a mood that they were super approachable and would sort of like be open to talking to me about anything. It's interesting to me that he doesn't go for talking to him about halacha, but it's more that he wants to ask him about questions about things that he observes in the natural world. So I don't know why I just found this passage to be somewhat like lighthearted, humorous, uh, I think it says something sometimes about our relationship between student and teacher, that sometimes teachers can be intimidating to talk to. And it's sort of about like catching that person right at the right, at, you know, at the exact moment. Um, so that's it. I just wanted to point out, I, I like this passage. I like that it, there's this schmoozy aspect to it, right? Like it's a very comfortable discussion. And also, you know, we talk all the time about how sometimes uh, members of Chazal were talking not really to each other. And here, that doesn't mean they were never talking to each other. Here, we, you know, this is this is a case of an actual conversation, I believe. Yeah, exactly. Yes, right. It's a real setup. It's not intergenerational, non-chronological talking. This is like a real story that happened. But the depiction of it is so human, beautiful, the details in it. I really liked it. Okay, that's our DOF discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get our podcast. Um, Come join us on our WhatsApp group. Come talk to us on our Facebook page. Be sure to come to us in person on Sunday, again, 10 a.m. Uh, Eastern Seaboard Time and 5 p.m. Israel Time. We look forward to learning with you, Likrat Shavuot. Until tomorrow, go. Oh, thank you to Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hard Run website. Pardon me, I do not ever mean to forget that. And until tomorrow. Mm-hmm.